Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Hey everyone, Lisa Tarmati here at Pushing the Limits. Fantastic to have you with me. Today I am, oh my gosh, I'm super excited. I have a long-time hero of mine, actually someone who's had a massive influence on my life. Um, he is the father of biohacking. He's an incredible entrepreneur. He's the author of many New York Times best-selling books. He is, of course, Dave Asprey. Dave Asprey, uh, if you don't know who Dave Asprey is, um, I don't know what rock you've been living under. Um, and he's had a massive influence on my life because his work has really helped me with my mum's rehabilitation um, and with my own health. And he has been really my guru for a long time. I've learned an awful lot from his books, his lectures, his podcasts. His podcast is called uh, Bulletproof Radio, which you must go and check out. So to get to speak to Dave today was an absolute honor. Um, he's the founder of Bulletproof um, and Bulletproof Nutrition. So you may have heard of Bulletproof uh, Coffee. Um, it's, a, it's a very good coffee and he has um, a whole range of supplements as well. And he runs Bulletproof Radio and has some of the world's leading experts on his show. In fact, a lot that go on his show, I go chasing to get on the show. <laughs> so he's really the father of biohacking. He's a longevity expert. He is um, famously gone on record as saying he believes he can live to 180. And he reckons that's a conservative estimate that that's super possible now um, and I believe him I think that that's exactly you know the way with converging technologies and exponential technology um, and you know things like AI and supercomputing and uh, um, VR and AR and robotics and all of the sensors and everything that's coming we are going to be able to crack the code on our own aging and age even backwards so I'm really really excited this conversation went in a number of different directions and all very exciting so I hope you enjoy it. Before I head over to Dave, just want to remind you, we have our Boost Camp eight-week live webinar coming up starting on the 1st of September. And if you're listening to this episode later and this has already been, then we will be holding these regularly. I want you to head over to peakwellness.co.nz forward slash Boost Camp. It will be in the show notes. And there we're going to be um, holding a eight-week live webinar series every Wednesday night. We're going to be talking around everything about upgrading your life, um, high performance, longevity, improving your health fundamentals, dealing with stress, resilience, mindset coaching, all of the good stuff that we've been teaching for the last few years, the latest in science, the latest in information. So I'd love you to come and join us for that program, um, which will be an eight-week long live webinar program. And and while I'm at it, I want to remind you too to check out our epigenetics program. This is all about understanding what your genes are about and how to optimize your body to your specific set of genes. So we're talking every aspect of your life here. We're talking your food. We're talking your exercise. We're talking chronobiology. We're looking at mood and behavior, your dominant hormones, how your personality is shaped. All of these things are um, uh, in your genetics and can be influenced by epigenetics and other words, everything that's outside of in your environment, um, the food you eat, what all those uh, the exercise, what temperatures, all of these things affects how your genes are expressing. So if you want to understand your body better, get a user manual for your body, head on over to lisatarmity.com, hit the work with us button, and under there you'll see our peak epigenetics program. So two great programs to check out. And if you're into longevity, head on over to nmnbio.com. Where I have my longevity supplement, NMN, um, the company founded by molecular biologist Dr. Alina Siranova, who's been on the show a couple of times already. Um, her breakthrough product there that I'm now importing down under. So if you want to check that out, you want to live longer, this is the best stuff that we have on the market at the moment. So go and grab some over there at nmnbio.nz. Right now, over to the show with Dave Asprey. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have one of my superheroes with me, uh, Dave Asprey. Dave, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. I'm happy to be here for you. Oh, it's just absolutely, you're one of my uh, great heroes. You've been a huge influence in my life and my mum's life, and uh, your work is just absolutely phenomenal. So to have a little bit of your time today is just really, really special. 
Um, Dave, I wanted to uh, dive deep into um, a couple of things. Number one, your latest book, Fast This Way, which uh, was an absolutely fascinating read and is going to be game-changing for so many people. Um, but before we go there, I wondered if you might give the listeners a bit of background for those very few people who don't know who you are, um, a little bit of why you got into this whole world of becoming the father of biohacking. Sure. I used to weigh uh, 50% more than I weigh now, about 300 pounds. And in my mid-20s, I had the diseases of aging, pretty much. I had prediabetes, high risk of stroke and heart attack, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, and arthritis since I was 14. And the normal stuff that was supposed to work just didn't work. I tried exercising 90 minutes a day six days a week on a low-fat, low-calorie diet for 18 months. And I still had a double extra large t-shirt <laughs> and it wasn't because of muscles. Yep. So I was getting more and more desperate and more and more tired and just feeling like I had the accelerator all the way to the floor, um, but I was slowing down. You can push harder, but there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. And I finally just said, you know, I'm a computer hacker in Silicon Valley. My career is going okay. I'm a little concerned because my brain doesn't work, but uh, I can hide that effectively. So maybe I'll just do what works and I'll start measuring. And I looked at my friends eating their, you know, double cheeseburgers with bacon. And I looked at my chicken salad with no chicken and no dressing. <laughs> and I realized I'm bigger than all my friends. I work out more than all my friends and I eat less than all my friends and I'm fatter than all my friends. Mm. It's not a moral failing. It's not a willpower issue. It's not that I ate too much lettuce. It's that I'm getting crappy advice. <laughs> and that opened the door uh, to me, uh, to looking at all of the systems of the body as a hacker would, to say, okay, I, we don't know much about what's going on inside the body. We still don't. We know a lot more than we did five years ago or 10 or 20 years ago, but we still know a tiny percentage. So it's really about how do I get control of my own biology, even if I don't have full knowledge. And that led to the birth of biohacking, which is a new word in the Merriam-Webster's English Language Dictionary in 2018. It was added. Uh, and my name's actually in there in the online definition, which is totally crazy. Amazing. So um, that's how it happened. And I started Bulletproof along the way, started uh, the Upgrade Collective, my, men my uh, mentorship group, and Upgrade Labs, which is my new facility, which is way more effective for recovery and putting on muscle and cardiovascular than traditional exercise. You know, your story um, is is one that I think it could be told over and over again by probably thousands of people listening to this. And uh, even in my life, I mean, I've been an ultra-endurance athlete, but one of the reasons I ran long was because someone told me I would lose weight and I was overweight as a teenager and yeah. struggling and being told that I was too fat. Um, and so that's what tipped me into this world. And I spent 25 years, Dave, uh, doing the wrong thing, basically, to, to come to the yep. knowledge that Calories in, calories out was is not. Uh, You're not alone. No. I used to ride my bike 30 miles a day yeah. uh, in my late teens trying to lose weight. And I tried running, but uh, I have had three knee surgeries. So that's oh, wow. probably a bad idea. Yeah. And you just, you look at that and you go, wait a minute. Um, in, mother, in Mother Nature's creation, there's really only two ways to exercise. One of them is you pick up rocks. And the other one is you run away from tigers or maybe towards them if you're hunting them. But we didn't run down our prey. <laughs> we would sprint at them and then throw rocks at them or spears or something and then we'd eat them. Yep. Right. And so the idea that somehow we're supposed to send a signal to our body that we're in a world of plenty when all we do is run, that's what hunted animals do. Hunted humans just keep running without stop. Yet if we believe that's healthy, now we have this weird thing that says, oh, starvation and predation <laughs> are going to be good for us. So because we're smart and because we have the most willpower, we push ourselves and say, okay, let's tell our body that live in a world where there's not enough food and there's always things hunting us, and then we'll be happy. Yeah. And magically, it doesn't work like that. No. It certainly doesn't. And, you know, that's a really good segue into your book, Fast This Way, which I really loved. And, you know, when I, when, you know, uh, as someone who has had issues with, with food and dieting and body image and things and all those sorts of things that so many of us deal with, when you see fasting, you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> um, and the thing that I absolutely loved about this book was it took away the guilt that so many people feel about it being all about them having a lack of willpower. And it also explained 
the whole biology of why fasting is good for us and how to get started and how to do it without the pain and without the suffering, which I found really amazing because, you know, you get your puritanical types of people that thinks, you know, fast has to be awful and you have to be, you know, so starving and you have to be suffering all the time. And you've really again, gone and hacked the code on how to actually get the benefits of fasting without all the negative side effects of a puritanical type of fast. Um, And, yeah, can you explain a little bit of the biology? I mean, this is a deep topic uh, to dive into, but at the core of all this is our mitochondria. So what is is fasting doing for us? Well, it it was... It's a case that I had had an unfair advantage on fasting because my first big book was called The Bulletproof Diet, and I published the first knowledge about this about 10 years ago online. So for 10 years, I've worked with a community of people uh, teaching them intermittent fasting, which is a part of The Bulletproof Diet. It's one of five big things, and all five of those have become like kind of schools of discipline in healthy eating, which is really neat, but it was, it was a, a very early book pointing out that you had to do all five of these in order to hit all the things most likely to mess with your brain and mess with your waistline. So that taught me a few things. (laughs) And my publisher came to me and said, Dave, write a book on fasting. Everyone wants to hear it. I'm like, are you serious? Step one, don't eat for a while. Step two, it's good for you. Here's some studies. And there's like 20 books out there that say that. And I thought, I'm not going to write a Me Too book because it's a waste of time. Like, like Why would you put all those thousands of hours into writing a book Mm. if it's not going to be meaningful? So... I said, all right, let's talk about the psychology and the biology behind the psychology or the psychobiology around fasting. And that makes it worth doing. And then I have learned how to fast. And I tell the story of going, uh, the first time I fasted really (laughs) was before I started Bulletproof. I hired a shaman to drop me off in a cave in the desert for four days with no people and no food. Like, well, I know I eat if I'm lonely. And I know that when I don't eat, I get hypoglybitchy or hangry and I'm going to be mean to everyone around me. So if I'm in a cave, I'm going to push my fear button, my loneliness button. And oh, I also know that if I don't eat six times a day, I'll go into starvation mode and then I'll get fat and I'll die. Because that's what they told me from the 1970s, right? Yep. So at least since the 1970s, they've been saying that garbage, which is not true. So I said, all right, best place, cave. And I went and I did it. And I tell the story, the psychology side of it, uh, as well as the physical side of it, using that. And then with Bulletproof, what I found was, okay, uh, yes, there is something called autophagy, which is when the body cleans out old uh, old cells and old proteins. And it's important. It's something that's wired into us. And you don't get it if you eat three meals a day. And you don't get it if you're always eating carbohydrates and lots of sugar. So the way you get it is you go for a brief period of time without food occasionally, and sometimes a longer period of time, and there's different benefits to it. But it's easy to say that. It's also easy to tell you, wake up every morning and go for a 10-mile run. And how many people will do that? Very few, right? Yeah. Because, well, first of all, you're like, oh, why would I do that? Unless you love running. Yeah. And the same thing, skip a meal, like, screw you, I like eating. And, and, and this is a normal human biology thing that's not you making a decision. In fact, it's the same part of you that if you lean on a hot stove and you pull your hand away before it gets burned, you go, oh, good thing I pulled my hand away. But if you're really, you didn't pull your hand away, something else pulled your hand away and you took yeah. credit for it. What yeah. was that thing? Well, that thing, that's the one that makes you go, ew, I'm not going to skip a meal. What's wrong with you? It's exactly the same impulse. It's a survival impulse. So in, the, in Fast This Way... I unpack it for you. Say, okay, what if we could turn off most of that so that all of the pain and suffering that you expect with fasting um, just isn't there? And there are some pathways you can activate with basic practices. There's three fasting hacks in the book that remove the pain. And right now, if you go to uh, daveasprey.com slash sleep challenge, um, I've had about 70,000 people go through. It's totally wow. free. It's, you don't have to buy the book. It's like, hey, I'll teach wow, you for two weeks how to fast. Wow. <laughs> so this is a lot of people and from around the world. And uh, I just want people to understand, look, it's not about suffering. And so you see thousands of comments in the private Facebook group from people saying, I can't believe I just went 24 hours without eating and I didn't even lose focus. In fact, I felt better than I did before. And that's that's the trick, is that suffering is not required. The puritanical mindset is not required. Just knowing how to not be hungry during a fast. You're like, what do you mean knowing how to not be hungry? Fasting equals hunger. No. 
It's what you ate before your fast that caused your hunger. When you learn how to eat, you're not hungry for four to six hours. And then there's the three fasting hacks from the book, and I'll kind of, you know, mm, give it away yeah. here. Yeah, please do. First one, if you have please a cup of black coffee, just black coffee in the morning at the beginning of a fast, it amplifies your body's ability to make ketones. It actually doubles formation of ketones. Ketones are fat-burning molecules that you get if you don't eat any carbs or if you fast for a while. So all of a sudden that happens. And caffeine itself is a hunger suppressant. And there's other huge health benefits from coffee that are very well documented. Like Google the name of any disease in coffee, and there's probably studies saying coffee is good for it. So um, there you go. So you had a cup of coffee in the morning without sugar and without any milk in it. And magically, you already already had a more successful fast. In fact, coffee also increases autophagy. There's that. Then the second <laughs> fasting hack is you can add grass-fed butter and MCT oil. And I originally created Bulletproof Coffee based on that idea because I noticed that grass-fed, well, yak butter in Tibetan tea in the middle of nowhere in Tibet at high altitude changed how my brain works. So how does this work? So we have all the science behind it. But it turns out that that combination gives you way more hunger suppressant. And the hunger suppressant there is called CCK, mm -hmm. which is a, the Calvin Klein hormone, I like to say. <laughs> Cholecystokinin, yeah. Yeah, cholecystokinin, you nailed it. You even said it right. It took me like 20 episodes to say cholecystokinin three times. But what... Uh, what that stuff does is it doesn't just turn on a fullness feeling called satiety. It also is anti-inflammatory. So no. people drink bulletproof coffee and they're like, you're full of crap, Dave. Yeah. And then 20 minutes later, yeah. like, what just happened? Like, I feel calmer and focused and I just don't care about food. And snack time came and someone put a bagel in front of me. I didn't want to eat it. Lunchtime came and I wasn't even hungry, but I thought I just maybe should eat. And that's the first day. And, and they're just looking at you going, this isn't possible. And then you say, well, okay, maybe that was breakfast because it had calories in it. But you look at what this is crazy. Different calories do different things. Yeah. Um, this is key. In, in, in right. the prebiotic, that's the other one, the third one, isn't it? Oh, yeah. The other one is a prebiotic fiber. And this is a kind of fiber that you can't digest. It won't raise your insulin levels or your blood sugar levels at all. But your gut bacteria eat it and they make ketogenic molecules and it's hunger suppressant and it enhances longevity in tons of studies. It's like, oh, you could have a cup of Bulletproof coffee with some prebiotic fiber blended in. And there's just about no one on earth who could have that in the morning and not be completely full. And, and some people are going to say, but Dave, there were calories. I'm like, yeah, that's funny. Did you want to pay attention today? Because that's called energy, and your brain uses about 15% of your energy. How do we measure energy? It's called calories. But fasting isn't a lack of energy going into the body. Fasting is going without. And the hallmarks of fasting are insulin doesn't go up, and your levels of something called mTOR don't go up. And mTOR is something that turns off autophagy. So if you don't have any protein and you don't have any carbs that raise insulin – your body's still in a fasted state. And the, the people say, well, you can't do that. You could only have water it's during a fast. That, yeah, that, that's fast, what the eh? mice had. I saw a study that the mice had only water, so that's what you have to do. I'm like, number one, mice don't have espresso machines. Um, number two, I'm sorry, did you have water during your fast? Because there's a whole group of people who are called dry fasters, and they don't believe you can have water during a fast. So your water fast is too permissive. But then, and I write about this as a part of the book, since fasting is going without, you can fast from hateful people. You can fast from all sorts of things. But you can also fast from oxygen. It's called breath work, and it's a big part of biohacking. I've helped to bring that into the, the biohacking universe. Yep, I'm big on that. So... Wait a minute, did the mice also do breath work? Because I'm pretty sure that if you want to be a puritanical faster, you can't breathe, you can't drink water, you can't have any calories. They all die. So that's a bad path. Maybe we could choose to go without the things that are causing the biological effects we don't want. So yes, you are fasting when you have black coffee or coffee with butter and MCT but no protein or coffee with prebiotics or tea for that matter. Just don't put sugar and artificial sweeteners in there and you're good to go. Yeah, that's really a key point. And, and like this is all about... Like understanding what the body's doing and not taking this puritanical, oh, I'm fasting thing to, you know, it's more about what are the things that I'm trying to achieve? I'm trying to achieve autophagy, which is the getting rid of the bad proteins and the broken bits and the cells and clearing them out so that I can bring in good nutrients and do better things and be more efficient. It's also about being in a calorie deficit, but you're 
have to know that the right combinations of things. So if we looked at the supplement side of it, you know, things like activated charcoal and um, I don't know if you take bentonite clay or, or, you know, those types of things. What can we take there that can actually help our body detoxify? Because our bacteria, especially when we're not well, going into this new fasting world and we have a bacteria, you know, microbiome that's not, say, great because we've been eating crap for a long time. How do we deal with the the sort of LPS and the, you know, the stuff that's coming out there? This is a big part of of Fast This Way is talking about, okay, what happens to all life when it's threatened? Well, there's three things. And it's always in order. And it doesn't matter if you're a bacteria, if you're a snake or a zebra or a human or a cactus, right? Step one, run away from, kill, or hide from scary things. Okay? That's called fear. The second one uh, of the the F words, and fear gets about 10 times more attention um, because it might kill you right now and then it'd be the end of the species. So the second thing is uh, eat everything because famines oftentimes kill people. So that's food. Right, And that gets five times more attention than necessary because there's plenty of food, but your cells don't know that, so they're still driving you as if there might be a famine tomorrow. That's why you want to eat all the donuts. And then there's a third F word that all life has to do to stay around for multiple generations. Do you know which one that is? Um, It's a um, rude word. Fertility? Is that the word? (laughs) That's one. Yeah, that's the F word you were thinking of. (laughs) (laughs) It used to be there. I heard that one somewhere else and then I forgot. What the hell was it? It was all I could think it was for the other one. I always try to trick people into saying the other one. Sometimes it works. <laughs> so, I'm trying to um, be a lady, <laughs> it, It's fertility, right? So yeah. those three things are driving everything that we do. So what's a gut bacteria going to do when it gets threatened? So what, what threatens a gut bacteria? Well, antibiotics or toxic mold in your environment will make your gut bacteria because that is just naturally occurring uh, antibiotics. And then starvation is a threat. So when they're stressed, what are they going to do? Well, they can't really run away. Their gut bacteria locked in your gut, right? (laughs) Um, They can't hide very well, although some of them will. They'll go into different stages. So most of them say, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to secrete a lot of toxins because those toxins will keep all the other bacteria from competing with me. And those toxins are called lipopolysaccharides. Lipo means fat. And they easily cross the gut barrier to go into circulation. They cross the blood-brain barrier. And then you get hangry. You get uh, brain fog. You get hypoglypitia and you get really hungry because your liver says, God, now I have to deal with all this LPS. Can I have some sugar, please? Because the sugar will help me oxidize these toxins, help me get them out. Right, So all of a sudden, you're saying, I'm trying to fast, but I made my gut bacteria unhappy. So what do you do? Well, you could bind the LPS, and that's what I talk about in Fast This Way, is toxin binders work incredibly well for reducing cravings during fasting. And um, I've been using activated charcoal. I've made it part of the biohacking mm. movement. Um, I've been using it for 20 years. And there are studies in my anti-aging book, actually, talking about, uh, I think it was a 15% life extension in rats who take activated charcoal regularly. Oh, activated charcoal. (laughs) Yeah, which has been around for, you know, 10,000 years that we know of in human use. So that one seems pretty safe, but you don't hear much about it because apparently it's not sold by any big pharma company. Exactly. They haven't been able to patent that. I don't know why. (laughs) It's too simple. And actually, you know, so that... So, so taking things that can bind up things in the gut and the toxins is, is also a big big factor. Um, what about senolytics and things like quercetin and quercetin? And are they a part of the fasting conversation? There's something else to, to talk about before we get there. It's that when you start losing fat, your body stores toxic metals, toxic yeah. molds, xenoestrogens, pesticides in your fat. If we biopsied your fat right now, you'd be sort of horrified. So I've had people using my programs lose 75 pounds in 75 days. And you will feel like garbage if yeah. you do that, unless yeah. you're taking huge amounts of toxin binders and detoxers because as all that fat melts, all the toxins have to get handled by your toxin handling systems. So that's important when we talk about charcoal and the other things like bentonite clay or even the prebiotic fiber. You really have to think about if I'm losing weight, I'm gaining toxins unless I bind them. And then... There's a chapter in Fast This Way that's on uh, what supplements are safe and effective during fasting, which ones break a fast, and which ones uh, will make you throw up if you take them during a fast. Those ones are pretty useful to know about. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the advanced ones are 
Synalytics for sure. I look at probably one of my my favorite ones is uh, spermidine. Oh, yes, I'm into spermidine. Thanks for the intro to Dr. Ewis. She's been on my show twice and I have spermidine now every day. Um, Excellent. Family. So thanks for that, that one. You're, you're welcome. I, I'm pretty darn sure I introduced that to the world of biohacking, yep. but not because I talked with Dr. Yurif and uh, the Spermidine Life guys. It's because there were such convincing studies. I wrote about it in my anti-aging book in um, Superhuman, yep. but you couldn't buy it at the time. It was a research exactly. chemical yeah. and the research chemical smells like its namesake and like it's not very pleasant <laughs> and it was very expensive. So you couldn't take that. So I took these probiotics from Japan that are supposed to help you make spermidine on board because the anti-aging research was so big. And then you fast forward a little while and you go, oh, wait, it looks like now there's a supplement available. Um, So that is, that's a fasting mimetic. So what I recommend people do during the fast is you can take fasting um, mimetics. Uh, There's a few other ones um, that are in the book. Uh, and that's a good idea. And certainly minerals are an incredibly good idea. When it comes to things like quercetin, I think the evidence is out. Um, you might, if you're trying to turn on synolytics uh, during a longer fast, it's probably a good idea. During a regular intermittent fast, it's probably not a good idea. Mm. Um, but I say probably. And then if you do it, you're not likely causing harm. But there's a certain amount of oxidation, like oxidative stress that you want during yeah. fast. A fast is like exercise for yourselves. Yeah. yeah. Right? So if you were to, to remove all of the stressors during a fast, then you wouldn't get the benefits of the fast. Yeah. This is always the balance between yeah, antioxidants yeah. and... So I'd want to put it at the end of the fast if I was going to do a course then during a fast, but you, you can just take moderate amounts during it. If you're doing a multi-day fast, there's an argument for taking you know, rapamycin and um, high doses of uh, fisetin and a bunch of other more advanced anti-aging senolytics. I would say we're still a little bit short on studies to tell you exactly what to do. That's mm-hmm. not to say that we don't know what to do because we know how it works. And there's a a lot of academics and physicians will tell you, well, we don't, uh, we're waiting for more evidence, so don't do anything. I'm like, didn't you just do a study that, yeah, you just did a study that says this probably works, right? So directionally speaking, shouldn't we do what we think works instead of doing nothing? Um, and and that, that mindset is incredibly toxic and it's pervasive. Yes. I mean, um, you know, I actually wanted to talk on that, Dave, if we can, you know, go, sure. you know, go, go and talk about the current state. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, Patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatamati.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatamati.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com and thanks very much for joining us. The, the, the state of our medical system and our pharmaceutical-based system, where, where do you think we're going wrong and how can we is there a, is there a paradigm shift happening? I mean, there is because you're creating a paradigm shift because people like me are, you know, following you and other great minds in this space. You know, is this, you know, like this is just too big to ignore. The, the, the information that's coming out is not always true, like the stuff that we get fed in the general media. And, you know, you know where I'm going with this. The, the whole pharmacological basis to our whole medical system, what's your take on what's happening? I, 
I, uh, I for one, am, am grateful to our artificial intelligence overlords uh, for telling me how to think so I don't have to think for myself. It, it really makes me feel safe uh, and lets me just, you know, feel, feel like I don't have to do anything. So <laughs> we, uh, we had a, a big problem back in about 1997. Uh, the uh, FTC, in its infinite wisdom, decided that they should allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise in the U.S., and that was pretty much, they were already out of control. And that put them seriously out of control. And now something like 50 to 70% of the revenue from the large news networks is from pharmaceutical companies. Wow. So man, imagine what would happen. And there's other stuff that we don't see because we're terrible at long-term consequences and long-term patterns. And we're pretty good at short-term patterns. So if I punch myself in the face, oh, it hurt. I know it hurt. But if you punch yourself in the face and a week later, your face would start hurting. For years, you'd be like, I wonder why my face hurts every now and then because mm-hmm. the seven days is too much. Well, check this out. In 1986, we had the swine flu. Mm-hmm. Billions of dollars in pharmaceuticals made no risk. Then in 1989, three years later, Hong Kong flu. Then four years later, SARS. Then three years later, bird flu. Then three years later, swine flu. Then three years later, MERS, which is also uh, one of the... the COVIDs mm-hmm. <laughs> or coronaviruses anyway. Covers. And then it was actually ahead of schedule. Ebola came in 2014 and then Zika 2016 and then it took a little break, four more years of COVID. So in each one of these cases, the same thing always happens. What happens is 10 people end up in the hospital and then they test all 10 of them and go, oh my God, two of the 10 died. It's a 20% death rate. Into the world. Start selling. And they start selling pharmaceuticals. They start siphoning government money. Government agencies ramp up with huge unlimited budgets, print more cash, all this stuff. Well, here's the problem. 10 people went to the hospital because they were sick. But 10,000 people had it with no symptoms. But it's not a 20% death rate. In fact, the average that I calculated, this is two weeks into the current pandemic, is that on average, the ones I researched, about a 65 times reduction in the death rate two years after they actually announce it. So they always say, oh my God, 10% of people are going to die. And afterwards wow. they're like, oh my God, it was 0.002%. Um, but no one ever reports the second one because yeah. by then billions have been spent. Remember, you guys remember Tamiflu? Yep, I do. Yeah. So Tamiflu was required to be purchased by global governments. Wow. My wife is a emergency room doctor from Sweden. And the Swedish National Health Authority, and this is a socialized medicine, so they don't waste money. And they said, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is a, a non-disease in terms of death rate. And um, this isn't even an effective treatment for it. So we're not spending money on it. And then there was a big lawsuit from the WHO or whoever the heck it was. And eventually it came down to they had to buy one box of this drug against their will for every doctor. So the head of the hospital, all right, guys, hey, everyone gets a free box of drug. You can do what you want with it. So it ended up in everyone's death drawers. Okay. That is one version of reality. And that I actually happened. I have it in first hand. And then someone's, oh my God, every man, woman, and child. So uh, Rumsfeld, who just died, um, he actually made a billion dollars off of that because he was the largest shareholder of the company that owned Tamiflu. So what's going on here is there's people who make a lot of money off these things. It is a business model. And as I predicted with COVID, the actual death rate is about 65 times lower than the first reported death rate. That's not to say people aren't dying from it. They do. People die every year from all sorts of things. But the overall death rate is well within the normal variation that you'd expect. No, I don't want to get it. Yes, there might be some... Um, ongoing problems. There is zero evidence they're irreversible. Anytime and someone says, oh, there's irreversible, permanent, impossible to fix side effects. Screw you, right? <laughs> it's impossible to go to the moon. It's impossible to fly. It's impossible to hold your breath for two minutes. All sorts of crap that actually you can do as soon as you figure out how. So yeah, there's some people who are sick and some people have passed away, right? I know some people have passed away. So this is not, yeah. not to minimize not it. Theoretical. it. It's to say that our reaction was stupid because the actual risk was much lower, but the risk is amplified because it makes money. So we've got to take the pharmaceutical companies away from the doctors. Right now, where I live in Canada, um, it is illegal for doctors to talk about substances that are well known to work for the current pandemic. Um, common anti, anti-parasitic 
medications that start with I and end in vermectin. Um, but I don't want to say it out loud because, you know. We won't get taken off here, though. Yeah. But I mean, here's the thing. I'm not, it's not going to fix or cure everyone, but I just posted about it. And there's a dozen comments, people going, oh, my God, it saved my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why is it illegal so. for my doctor to tell me to take it? Yeah. That and is because is, of the influence of big pharma. That'll yeah. end. And that's because um, it's off patent. Nobody can make money at it. It's very safe. And if yeah. they had a safe therapeutic, apparently they have to take the vaccine off the market, but we can't do that because there's billions and squillions on the line here. Mm. Um, and, you know, when, when you're looking at fertility and all those sorts of things, I'm just quite horrified at the, you know, we, we're going through IVF at the moment and, you know, there's no way I'm touching it. That's for sure. Um, well, it's, probably, it, you know. it's a weird thing because um, I, I identify as vicurious, vaccine industry curious. Curious. You know, <laughs> I am not opposed to vaccines. Before the pandemic, I had a uh, a leader from one of the companies making mRNA vaccines. Mm-hmm. They're going to go through proper testing, you know, five to seven years. But yeah. they're talking about an Alzheimer's and a diabetes vaccine. Okay. Oh. If you look at the big four killers that I wrote about in my book, yeah. it's cancer, <laughs> diabetes, diabetes, Alzheimer's, right? Yeah. Uh, so, and what's the fourth one that I missed? Cardiovascular. There you go. <laughs> so, if I could get a vaccine for those four and the vaccine was well tested, you know what? I think I might be interested in that because I'm probably going to live 25 more years from that and I'm probably going to suffer less at the end of my life, mm-hmm. right? Okay, mm-hmm. that's math worth doing because that's what kills something like 70%, 80% of people. It is not a specific type of infection. So it's a different equation. And, and then who are the people that are dying from COVID anyway are people with mm-hmm. comorbidities, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, there's that. And there are a few random, rare people who who die. And I just had Amanda Glutes on the show. I mean, her husband, Nick Cordero, I mean, he was 41, didn't have comorbidities, maybe had some genetics. No one really knows, but he passed away very quickly. Wow. You could also argue, well, they intubated him and they starved him for three weeks without any food in a feeding tube, which didn't seem like a good idea. Um, but uh, no, yeah, no but problem. still, it, it, you know, it's it's a problem because... Uh. People see things like that and they go, oh, it's so scary. And, you know, it is. If if you get sick, it's always scary because we're wired to be able to feel fear when something might be bad. So I I just think we've got to be rational. And this is why we need to be having this conversation around being preventative and being optimizing our health and intermittent fasting and fasting and good food and good, good amounts of exercise and all of these other lifestyle interventions that are accessible to us all. Um, and understanding how our biology works so that we're not stuck in that situation, uh, you're, hopefully. You're totally wrong. We need to give people fried food if they get the vaccine. That is how we are going to win this battle. It is a war. <laughs> we have to win the war. Okay, like, it, it is so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? There are a lot of people, including some really intelligent people I respect, who, who are either totally caught up in fear or they haven't done the research um, that certainly I've seen that says, you know what, there are some unknown risks to the to the vaccine and there are some unknown risks to the virus. We just have no, we know more about the virus than we do the vaccine. So is it okay to say, I haven't made my mind up yet? I will be part of the control group, yes. Is it okay to say, you know, I couldn't see my parents and they're at the end of their life. It was totally worth it to take whatever risk is in the vaccine to get yeah, it. Absolutely. I, I respect yeah. both sides. And that's why that vicarious thing is pretty cool. Uh, because if you identify as vicarious, which means you're not willing to be vaccine promiscuous, which means, oh, anyone could stick anything in me they want, but you're also not an anti-vaxxer, which is like, no one can ever stick anything in me. Maybe you're in the middle. In fact, I will tell you right now, 90% of people are in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it's the angry people who yell at the extreme mm-hmm. anti-vax and the extreme vaccine promiscuous side. Okay. They're bullies. Yeah. They're traumatized people. And you guys can all STFU. Okay. Yeah. Most of us will make our own decisions. Thank you very much. And if you try to bully and shame someone for identifying as vicarious now, what have you done? I'm pretty sure you're going to get canceled. You're just looking at, you, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's look at the mind body connection. Um, but you're just looking at the whole, look, let's look at the science. And we haven't had the time. We haven't. I mean, Dr. Robert Malone, um, who you probably know is the mRNA um, guy, he's he's saying, look, the spike protein, we don't know if it's biologically active. We, we believe it is. And, and it's just too risky. And so, like, I'm looking at my situation with my mum, my elderly mum, and I myself going through fertility, and I'm going, no thanks. I've got my hyperbaric. I've got my ozone machine. I've got my sauna. I've got my healthy diet. I've got my all of these things. Uh, I'll try and get 
the other, you know, eye medicine. Um, and I'm good to go. Thanks very much. But- there's a very interesting argument where you say you have to do it to keep me safe. And yeah, the answer for that is for sure. Yeah. Look, if masks work, keep wearing a mask. And there's some evidence maybe they do. There's a lot of evidence maybe they don't, that whole 2.5 thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, and then if the vaccine works, then you should be safe, right? So don't put it on me. It, it's almost like if someone was to go to you, Lisa, and say, hey, I want you not to drive so that I'll be safer when I drive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah and you're a bad that. person if you drive, yeah. you know. And, and exactly. this is the, the thing that, that you know, I, that, that I'm a little bit scared of coming in the future that we're going to all be stiff-armed into doing what we don't want to do. Well, um, let, let me just be really straightforward, Lisa. Do you pay property taxes? Mm. Yes, Very right? Yeah. You're stiff-armed into doing something you don't want to do. Do you <laughs> yeah. obey a whole bunch of stupid regulations every time you go to the airport and take your shoes yes. off, whatever they'll let me do? Yes. Yeah, th- thank you. That was 9-11 Patriot Act stuff right afterwards. Yeah. All of a sudden, shoes are unsafe in airports in some countries, but not others. Just like masks are okay when you sit down but not stand up or whatever. Okay. <laughs> so just deal with it. You're already stiff-armed into doing all sorts of stuff you don't want to do. But you don't have to react with anxiety or fear. You can react with intelligence and logic and thought. Um, and the bottom line is, you know, that's a, a human condition. It's a lot better than what we had 200 years ago, which yeah, was serfdom yeah. and slavery. And, you know, let's see, how do we put... We are, white, we are improving. We are improving. How, how did we put white people in Australia? They were mostly <laughs> prisoners, right? Like, they didn't have much choice about that, right? So we have a long history of not having as much control as we want. But we're in a place now where we can choose to give up really, I'm going to say uh, innate human rights and medical freedom is one of the most precious rights. That means you have a right to choose what you put into your body and what you don't put into your body from a food perspective, from a supplements perspective, um, and from a pharmaceutical perspective. No one else has a right to choose. And if they try to- this is where I have a huge issue. I mean, I think I told you my story when we spoke last time about my father and not being able to get him intravenous vitamin C in the hospital when he was dying with sepsis. That- they took away my rights. They took away my dad's rights. They took, you know, that, that's where I have issue because, you know, and, okay, that's one situation and, you know, I'm working on that one. But we my, have uh, to my, have my the My goal is to not, my goal is to not die yeah, in the hospital. Yeah, me too. It's a bad Never place to die. Yeah, I do not want to be in there. <laughs> that's why I have everything at home that I possibly can afford and do. Dave, um, just before we wrap up, because I know you have to leave um, shortly and, I just want to get your take on um, longevity. You're, you're yep. famously reported as saying, "We, be, I believe I can live to 180, and you think that's a yep. conservative estimate. Even now, you're 47, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, do, why do you think, and I agree with you, I think we, we, you know, the converging technologies that are happening right now, the exponential, the AI, the VR, the, the robotics, the stuff that's coming is just next level insane. What do you think, though, we can live, outlive anybody in the history of humanity so far? Well, well I don't feel comfortable saying that we're likely to live to 500 or to 1,000. Uh, I just don't think it's impossible. And I picked 180 because today, with no technology assistance, we have people who make it to 120. Not very many. But we know that's possible. And these are people who were born when we still fought wars on horseback. That We didn't have airplanes. We couldn't spell DNA because we didn't know what it was. Right? There were no antibiotics. I mean, it, it was a different world, and they're still alive. Right? Okay, if we can't do 50% better than that over the next 132 years of my life, it's because a comet hit the planet or maybe because we destroyed our topsoil with some weird vegan ideology. You need animal poop to make soil. I, I live on a regenerative farm where we're building soil with pigs and sheep. So you have to know how systems work. So if we don't destroy the planet, then we can do 50% better than today. And because I've run an anti-aging nonprofit for more than a decade, and I've been blessed on my podcast on Bulletproof Radio uh, to be able to interview the luminaries in the field and to know many of them personally, there is no question in my mind. Like, we are cracking the core biology behind aging and our ability to replenish and repair and rejuvenate our systems. So it's your job. Age a little bit less quickly. Repair yourself a little bit better. And every year, 
the technology gets better and better. Already, some of the stuff I wrote about, the cutting edge of stem cells in superhuman, which was just published like a year or two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Already, one of those treatments, I said, well, you'll probably be able to get this. It's now uh, possible. It's a, a new stem cell kind of treatment oh, that's wow. much easier than the ones that I did where they tapped into my bone marrow, um, yeah, which, which I did so to write the old. book. <laughs> it actually wasn't not nearly as bad as people think. I mean, you lay there and it feels like pressure, but it's not painful. Everyone describes it as this horrible pain. I've had it done twice. You know, I've had worse pain. <laughs> so, you're pretty tough, though. <laughs> I, I don't know. I did pass out. Uh, but... <laughs> The uh, the idea there is it was hard and expensive to start, and it's getting easier and cheaper, and it will continue on this path. Everything we do will. And people say, it's not fair. Global billionaires do $100,000 stem cell treatments. I'm like, yep. Those same global billionaires. Stuff. Yeah. They were the ones who put the whole trunk of their car was the first cell phone or mobile phone, right? And it cost $50,000 to have a mobile phone and $25 a minute. And they would drive around and do that. And magically, you can get a cell phone for a dollar a month in Africa now. How could that be? So my job is to say it's possible, to show it being done, which creates huge demand, which creates huge supply, which drops the price. That's yeah. what anti-aging is doing right now. Yeah. And so I'm on with you. I'm going to be around hopefully till 180 as well with you. All right. Let's race. And <laughs> I've got a few years head start on you. I'm 50, 53 next month. So, oh, there you <laughs> but, you know, like, and, and I think um, one other, just one other point, you, you always talk about respecting your elderly and that you learn so much from, and I hate the word elderly. It's a, bit, it's a terrible word anyway. It's elders. Elders. Thank you. They're very um, different words. Yes. You're, you're damn right there. Actually, in my, my, in my culture, in the the Maori culture, we, we do call them elders. Yeah, I, know that I, um, I always use the word elders. Elderly yes. just means frail. Yeah. Right? Elders yeah. means wise and yes. powerful. Okay. Wise, powerful, with much experience. And if yeah. we can help our elders uh, retain mental function, retain physical function, which is my goal with, you know, with my mom, she's my guinea pig, she's the one I, <laughs> all the stuff you research <laughs> comes to her benefit. Yeah. Um, and you know, if we can retain that, you know, like I, I feel like now at the age of 53 <clears throat> that I'm at the peak of my abilities, my experiences, and I want to maintain this now. I don't want to start my decline as is expected of me, you know, because I've reached a certain age. I'm about to go through IVF. I'm going to try and have a baby. I'm, I, I just defy anybody to tell me what I should and should not be doing at this age um, and, 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 I'm determined to use the latest technologies and stuff as much as I can and afford and, and all the rest of it um, to live a long and healthy life and then just share that information, which is, you know, just exactly what you're doing, but on a bigger scale. Um, yeah, so I'm very excited about what's coming. It's good to have a passion and a mission. And there are some interesting studies that show that for some women, perimenopause is a pretty rough time, yep. but that women and men actually over 60 tend to be happier because we go through this phase of, of when we're young, we're... Um, we're really worried about what everyone else is thinking about us, right? And then you go through a phase in you know, the middle, the kind of middle <clears> ages <throat> where you're really thinking more about what you think about other people. And then you get older and you realize that no one was ever really thinking about you anyway, yeah. right? And so yeah, now, exactly. like, okay, I, I finally dealt I with all my free. crap. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I've dealt with my crap. So, so people um, who have enough energy and don't have medical problems as they age tend to be much happier uh, because they've learned the skill of being happy. And it turns out we can teach our younger people that. And the way we've always done that is through coming of age rituals. <laughs> and then, te you know, you listen to the elders. And we had intact families with older people. And they'd tell you a few things. And you'd listen to maybe 20% of it when you were young. But it yeah. was pretty valuable because it saved you 10 years of acting like a jerk. Yep. We're just missing that we replaced with Instagram. So I'm hoping we go back to really <laughs> awake and aware and powerful elders. Um, yes. And part of the anti-aging community is to have people whose brains work like young people, but the wisdom of ages. And that's going to be cool. That is going to be very, very cool. You know, Dave, um, you've just, you're, you're, you're magnificent. I mean, all your books from Headstrong to Better Baby to Fastest Way to Bulletproof, 
to um, superhuman um, and, and all of the movies. I watched your movie the other day, the one on toxicity, um, toxic, so toxic mold. It's a, it's a moldymovie.com. It's free. Moldymovie.com. People, I've shared that lately um, on, on social. Go and check that out as well because this, that's a silent hidden epidemic that I think most people are not aware of. And it all comes down to, you know, looking after our health and our mitochondria. Um, and, you know, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really uh, respect what you do. I love what you do. And I, I'm just fascinated to what I'd like to know from you personally, though, is like how the hell do you create such a movement, have such an impact, have and, and, and translate the systems thinking that you took from your your background in Silicon Valley to, to this? And where did you come up with the idea that we're like a systems biology thing, you know, like – it's, well, uh, it's, it's a marvelous analogy. Really. For, for five years, I, I taught at the University of California every night um, how to build the Internet and cloud computing before it was built. And I worked <laughs> at the company that held Google's first servers before it was just two guys and two computers. And when it was the Facebook with five computers with our customers. So I architected hundreds of systems like that. And my whole thing was, how do you build a highly scalable system where you don't know what everything's doing, but you still are in charge of controlling it? Because if you don't, they won't pay you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was how I learned to think like a network engineer. And it turns out that biology behaves very much like the internet does, where we have these little cells, they make little decisions, they communicate it very, via various signaling pathways. And if you can hack a system, that means you don't know what's in there. That means you can hack the human body. And part of it was desperation. And how can I teach it and translate it? Well, it's because I learned to be a teacher by every night after work, going and being an actual teacher of working engineers, which was really hard. It's a different skill than, than doing the work. It's sharing the work. And it was that experience and just hard-won Silicon Valley tech stuff that prepared me uh, to be able to share this. And then to make a movement, it's, well, it's kind of hard, but there's two things you have to do. Yes. One is you have to have stuff that actually works, right? The vegan movement will fail, and it is failing right now because it doesn't work. People do it, they feel good for a little while, then they get sick, and it happens over and over, and it's bad for the environment. So give it 20 years, and it'll be one of those weird things we talk about. Well, we all eat our grass-fed meat. Okay, so number one, efficacy. Uh, number two... I just hopped on a plane whenever someone wanted me to talk about it, and I'm good at talking about it. So I've probably spoken at a thousand live events since I started wow. Bulletproof. You know, yeah. I travel 150 days of the year when there's no artificial, yeah, you know, <laughs> destruction of travel. And it's not just sharing online. It's sharing in person and, and being there and talking with people and actually caring. And if you do that, you can build a movement. It just takes a lot of time and energy, but it has to be worth it. And in my case, I thought it was worth it. It's been definitely worth it. And um, you've got a little student over here trying to emulate what you do on a, on a smaller scale, but um, definitely doing that, sharing this on a, on a regular basis. We've been going with this podcast now for five and a half years and inching our way forward, um, learning, and I don't have a tech background, <laughs> so it's been a bit of a mish, to be honest, the whole online world of coaching that I do. Um, but, you know, you just keep going, and that's one thing that ultramarathoning does teach you that's good, apart from the the, the – uh, exercising too much side of it from the from the psychological side of it it is very good because you just learn to just grind and keep going and keep going yep. keep you, you just put your head down and keep going and yep. and that's what it takes and, and the more successful you are the more the crazy five percent sociopaths and psychopaths yell and scream and complain online and you just learn oh wow i'm totally winning every time <laughs> that happens you know it took them 20 you know, minutes to make board. up something mean about me it took me half a second to click ban and delete and just know that, that that's a sign that someone's listening. And so, hey, if they say your name, they're saying your name and your movement's working, doesn't matter what they say. Thanks, Dave. I needed to have that advice too. Dave right. Esprit, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for your time today. I really, Thanks, really Lisa. appreciate it. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. And head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com. 